it's hard to actually predict where things were going to go in the future. All I know is right now, in a lot of the markets that I work in, yes, there's probably been some softening, but I'll tell you what, the buyers are still out there. As long as you can price the property right, buyers will still step forward. Are you ready to transform your life? This is a no-nonsense show helping immigrants like you create generational wealth, even while working full-time. Get ready to take notes. Here's your host, Socket Jane. Welcome back, Migrate to Wealth listeners. Today, we're going to be talking about land flipping. That's a topic that actually I've been looking into myself. I've talked to a few coaches, some mentors who actually do this. And then uh, when Pete's name came across, I'm like, you know what? Why don't we just start a podcast, do a podcast on that and learn together with you guys? So I'm here as a learner as well, where I'm going to ask questions from Pete to Pete. He's an expert. He has properties all across the U.S. There's a pretty broad operations. So before I completely butcher his background, Pete, why don't you talk to us about what you do? Sure. Well, our main business is land flipping, as you mentioned, and basically that involves buying properties off market uh, directly from owners of the land, and then we take them and sell them on market. So sometimes we'll do some value add type things to the properties, and sometimes we will you know, just sell them as is. But yeah, I've been in real estate for quite some time since the early 2000s. We were, when I say we, myself and my wife, we were flipping mm-hmm. homes. That's kind of how we got our start in investing. And then I got my broker's license out here in California. Market crashed. And then, you know, there wasn't a lot of home flipping that was going on. So I decided to shift a little bit and focused on being REO broker for banks. So yep. I was their listing broker. That was a great I, that, business. That was kind of, that was a great business. Yeah, that was kind then. of my focus for that was all that was selling out here. So yeah. <laughs> so I did that for a number of years. Through that, I got some great connections to some larger companies that were just buying up tons of properties. So then after I shifted from just finding deals for them. And I knew what they were looking for and I you know, knew how to find them for them. So for a number of years, I just kind of focused on finding them as many deals as I possibly could. Got out of real estate altogether for a while and got into, you know, started up a business with my wife about, it's a blogger education business, you know, teaching people how to start their own blogs and travel mm-hmm. blogs. We did a lot of traveling as a result of that business That's and that perfect. business was great and successful and stuff. But I got the itch to get back into real estate and I knew I wanted to get on the investment side of things again, but didn't know which direction to go. Started doing a lot of research about different models and stumbled upon land flipping. And it kind of made sense to me because it was buying properties, you know, buying right and then reselling them, you know, at for yeah. a quick turn type situation. So I kind of went all in, got a training program from someone, went all in, learned how to do the business model resold our first land flip in March of 2021. And that first year in 2021, which was a partial year, we ended up doing a little over 1.2 million in revenue and about 50% gross profit margin. So on average, we were doubling our money on these land flips. So buying for say 20,000 and selling for 40,000 after all Mm -hmm. expenses and fees and everything. So, and then average hold times that first year was about 60 day hold time. 2022, we stepped it up quite a bit. And we did almost 3.5 million in revenue and just shy of the 50% gross profit margin, but pretty close. And then 2023, looking to do 10 million, just trying to scale it up. That's awesome, man. So you know what? That's actually, before we go jump into the land flipping, let's focus on your story for a second. How did you get stuck in the real estate? Like, How did uh, I get started in real estate? Yeah, Yeah. kind of like, you know, you said that you were flipping homes and all. Mm, How did that happen? Did you always, were your parents were in that business? 
How did you get excited about real estate? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. You know, when I was young, my parents didn't actually own a home. So we lived mm -hmm. in an apartment complex and I always had this kind of envy. My friends had, you know, normal single family homes yeah. with the yard and all this stuff. And I always wanted that. And I always try and talk my parents into doing that and going that route, but they weren't really interested in that. So I had this thought in my head, like, hey, when I grow up, I'm going to own a bunch of homes and I'm going to, you know, a bunch yeah. of real estate and things like that. And I'm just going to make it happen. You know, it's kind of started with the first, my wife and I, when we got married, we bought a home, a starter home right away in San Diego here. It was, I think it was 195,000. We used a FHA loan, three and a half percent down right. and it needed a little work. And I just kind of did a lot of that work myself. Very questionable quality, but it did get done. Yeah. <laughs> but after that, you know, we actually made, we sold it two years later and we made $50,000 or something on that. And at the time, oh, it seemed like a lot. A yeah. lot of so, money. Yeah. Yeah. We took that and we bought a bigger home that also needed work, did kind of the same thing. And then on TV at the time, there was starting to be a lot of those home flipping shows on yeah. HGTV. We were watching yeah. those and that kind of got us excited. We were like, well, we could do this. So then we started buying investment properties and doing that. And the funny thing is the first like property that we bought just as a pure investment, I mean, it worked out perfectly. We were going to do some minor remodeling on it, but mm -hmm. I think we bought it for 700000 or something like that. So it was a kind of a larger price home, but we bought it at the time. There was a ton of options to buy like zero money out of pocket. Right. You know, it was like these 80-20 loans. So we bought it 80% first, 20% second, no money out of pocket. As soon as we closed, we got a neighbor or a relative of one of the neighbors approached our agent and said, hey, do they want to sell it right away? And we did want to sell it, but we were going to do some stuff to the home first. And bottom line is we ended up working on a deal with them, sold that property, made it like a $75,000 profit, didn't even make it the first payment. That's amazing. Didn't put any money that out of pocket amazing. or anything. Yeah. yeah. So that got us hooked. Yeah, <laughs> that, that no, it, it is. It is addictive. Right? I think this business yes. works. Right? This business works. I was going to say, I think HGTV should do a study on how many flippers they've created. So because many. most people are not even aware of that business, right? Until you start watching yep. these shows or talking to mentors. I think it's becoming, it's like a short time where entrepreneurship is becoming a household thing. HGTV yep. has really created, brought a lot of light to flipping not being a bad word, right? Kind of like right. negative connotation before to it. But you, you're yeah, exactly. And it kind of money. It kind of did back then, you know. I never told people I was home flipper. I told them Correct. I would buy and sell homes. Yes, because I didn't exactly. like the way home. And flipping now it's sounded. like flipping is kind of perfect, right? That's now right. It's uh, becoming a common household term. So now, from there to now to land flipping. Actually, let's talk about land flipping. I'm actually very interested in that. So sure. a lot of these questions are going to come out of curiosity. I'm going to learn along with my listeners here. So what's the thesis behind land buying land and flipping land? Like, can I like, yeah. and because I understand the real estate part of it, right? The real estate, if you got a building on it, if you put a tenant on it, it's a cash flow game or appreciation game or both. And also the depreciation game, which is tax deduction. So when you're looking about buying land, what is your thesis? And what's the thesis in general? And how does your thesis differ from that thesis, if it does? Sure. Well, the way I do the business model, it's all about short-term holds. So it's a short-term cash business model. There's no long-term tax incentives or anything on these type of properties. You know, mm -hmm. we're buying properties and we're trying to sell them, you know, get them out of our inventory in 60 to 90 days. Right. Sometimes it's much less. Sometimes it ends up being a lot more. But on average, that's kind of where we hover 60 to 90 days. So 
it's just buying and selling. So the primarily what we're trying to do is we're buy, trying to buy at a steep discount. So the off market and then which will give us room to actually put it on the market and list relist it at mm-hmm. a good discount well, below competitive properties. So it'll sell right. quickly. So now, pretty simple. So who's buying and selling land, right? So for, if I have land and I think you said that, and I can't remember if you said it off air or on air. So I'm going to use some number here. You bought it for 20K and flipped it for 40K, right? Uh-huh. Why is someone interested in selling a 20K land instead of just keeping it? If the land's going to, is it because they have financial need? Is it, why are they selling it? What's the reason usually for what you're encountering? Yeah, a lot of these, it's a number of situations, but the common ones are they've held this land forever. They maybe inherited it. They're just paying property taxes and it's actually doing no benefit for them. You know, they may not even have been to the property in 20 years or something like that. They're just simply paying the property taxes, maybe paying some maintenance here and there, but it's not doing them any good. And it's a situation where it's like, they'd rather have the cash, you know? And then sometimes we run into people that are like, okay, they've got a real kind of acute financial need, something, some sort of a life event happened or something like that. And they need to liquidate pretty fast. Mm -hmm. You know, typically if they're listing something on the market, it's not easy to kind of retail something fast. And then the other thing is, yeah, the end buyers are either someone buying it for a recreational property or buying it as a potential home site. Or, you know, sometimes we get people that just buy up all the land they can find in a certain area. You know, they just like accumulating these parcels. But so we have a combination of uh, end users. Do you have the smallest lot that you would look for? Kind of like, you know, how when you switch from the multifamily side, people have a criteria. I want to only do 100 plus. I want to do 60 plus. I want to do... $50 $50 million plus, whatever those numbers are, what is the criteria for you and your team and why? For me, for the most part, I mean, I'm trying to buy properties that are at least $20,000 purchase price. And I try to double my money on each of my investments. Now, mm-hmm. sometimes I know that that's not going to specifically happen, but if there's a good chunk of money to be made and I'm pretty confident in it, I'll still do it, even if it's not a double. But, you know, I used to do kind of a, like lesser dollar amount properties. You know, I'd go down to like the cheapest one I ever bought was like 3000 There was a number of them I did that were like five to 7000 And while some of those are pretty profitable as far as the profit percentage, you know, you may be able to buy a property for 5000 and sell it for 25000 Obviously, yeah. that's a huge spread there, but it's the tough to really amount, scale that right? way. Yeah, yeah. the absolute amounts. I think in the end, the percentages are great, but what matters is the absolute amount. It's exactly right. It's easy to get caught up in those percentages. Like, hey, I triple my money on this deal or whatever, but you know. How much did you go in with, right? Yeah. That's right. (laughs) I agree. I completely agree, man. It's kind of funny. I I worked at Airbnb. I had an opportunity to invest Airbnb pre-IPO outside of me working there. And I just put in, let's say 25,000. I can't remember what I put in. And somebody else I know put in about 100K. The money multiplied the same amount. Yes. But their money looked so much better than mine. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, I made yeah, really. like 75 grand. These guys made like 400K. Yeah, uh, 300K, whatever that amount was. I agree. I think it, these numbers are good. The metric is good. But in the end, all that matters is an absolute dollar amount, right? So now in 20K, let's do it in a structured manner. Where are you buying? Are you buying in major metro areas? Because if you're buying a major metro area, there's nothing available for 20K. Maybe a square inch is available. Because everything is in like where I live. I know that's one of the markets that you work in, Raleigh, MSA. If you buy anything within the vicinity of where I live, you can't find anything below $5, 10000000 million, right? Yeah. So where are you buying these 20K lots? 
Yeah, they're rural properties. You know, they are an hour to two hours outside of a major metropolitan area. And it mm-hmm. var- it always varies, but we're in, you know, we're outside of the small towns. We're outside of the cities, obviously. And it's just kind of the rural countryside. That's where I focus. Now, there's other land yeah. investors that kind of focus on these infill lots yeah. in developed cities or, you know, developed suburban areas. But for the most part, I'm doing the rural land. Most cases, I'm buying 10 acres and above now. So and sometimes it. I'll go down to five acres if it's a more dense area. But and are but we that's, saying that's when you say twenty k, are you saying twenty k for five acres or twenty k for an acre? What no you, for the whole purchase you, price for the whole, for purchase, the whole purchase price? price. Got yeah. It. So it doesn't matter yeah. five or ten or twenty acres as long as the purchase price for the entire lot size, whatever the lot size. Am I thinking it correctly? Yeah, the price per acre. You know, we use that for figuring out what properties are worth and stuff. But I kind of don't. You know. I kind of look at it in the way that I'm just kind of looking to see how much I'd make on that property. Mm-hmm. So my average profit per deal is ended up is like 23,000 or something like that right now. Right. But the purchase prices range, you know, they're anywhere from 20,000 right now up to, you know, 360,000. So there's Got a it. big range. So okay. it just depends on what the property is and what it's worth and what, what I think mm-hmm. I can resell it for or whatever. But that 20,000 is just kind of the lower end that I'd be okay. willing to deal with at this point. Kind That's of. Perfect. That's a bare minimum you would do. Yeah. You would go exactly. higher as needed. Now, oh, yeah. Help us understand that. So you found a lot and uh-huh. the pricing worked out. You bought the lot. Mm-hmm. What do you do after that? Do you do any value add? Are you buying things that are shovel ready? Do you make them shovel ready? At what stages do you, what do you do between you purchasing it and selling it? Yeah. Well, that part's pretty quick. A lot of stuff happens while we're in the due diligence phase before we actually close on the property. But after we close on the property, it can be sometimes we'll do some minor value add stuff. Sometimes we'll do some brush clearing. We'll get a perk test done. We'll do a survey, something along those lines. You know, those types of things happen right after we close generally if it needs to be. And then we'll just list them with the local broker, put it on the uh, MLS, and we'll get it sold as quickly as we can. So these but, are all, uh, you're selling them in the retail market. You're buying off market, exactly. but you're selling in the retail. You're not selling it to investors. You don't have a no. database of investor these. You literally list them on the MLS. That's right. Yeah, each one. And in each property too, we always work with the local land specialist, broker, or agent as well. To this help is, us resell so the property. This is an interesting model, especially where the economy is right now, right? Peter, I would love to mm-hmm. hear your perspective, right? Because we're seeing a downturn. We're seeing a lot of layoffs happening, right? So if somebody were to make that extra cash, let's say they were making, in your, we'll use your number, let's say they're making 50K a year, right? And they want to do land flipping because they think that there's a way to do that. This could be something that's going to be beneficial, I think, for that, either the supplemental income or to replace your income, Right. And I know, oh, that's yeah, yeah, a lot like, of people do it on the side as like a side hustle thing, and then it turns right. into more. So, does that require a lot of cash? Because it seemed like if you're buying four or five K, that's a different thing. But if you mm-hmm. start buying 20, 40, 60, 100K, 200K properties, how cash intensive is this business? It can be cash intensive, especially when you're doing it kind of the way that I am. You don't have to do it the way that I do it, though. They're in this business, there's what they call land deal partners. So there's basically, there's a whole subset of land investors basically that are willing to put the whole purchase price of the property. They'll fund the whole purchase, you know, credentials or down payment or whatever from the, from the investor, but you basically, you split the deal. So the investor finds a deal and gets it under contract. You work with a funding partner to actually 
close on the purchase. And then so, uh, when it resells, then you split the profits 50-50 generally. That's awesome. So, so you basically go really go to the flipping model, uh, the home flipping model, right? Where yeah. you may not have a lot of cash when starting out. So you partner with somebody who has the cash, but you put in the sweat equity and your own intellectual property there. And then once you flip it, there's a certain agreed upon split that you have. And that's, that's right. really how you get started. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the way to do it. I mean, obviously, you still have to have some sort of resources in order to get the the leads coming in. And for what I do, it's it's all direct mail. And yeah. I send out a lot of direct mail. We don't have to start at the type of quantities that I start. I'm doing right now, but you know, so you got to get doing? the phone ringing. What's your direct marketing budget? Yeah, I, well, you right know. now I stepped it up to about fifty thousand a month. So sending Oof. out a hundred thousand offers a month. Yeah, right, right. So, and when you say I was at mailing, fifty thousand for a while, and I just stepped it up. So and you said fifty thousand mails or fifty thousand dollars a month. Oh, fifty thousand dollars now, but a hundred thousand mailers. So it's about fifty cents yeah. a letter. Fifty cents. Yeah. A letter. Pete, help us understand one thing, right? So how much can you scale? At some point, do you see this ending like, you know, where we are right now in the economic cycle? I'll use the term land grab. I don't know if that's the right term here. But this fascination for land, do you see it continue to going on? Do you see it trending downwards? Do you see it plateauing? Where do you see this? Because at some point, your flipping is model is only going to work if there's a buyer in the market. They may always yep. be the seller, but there has to be a buyer on the two, for this equation to work. There's a two-sided marketplace. That's right. So where do you see the risks on the buyer side? Are they worried? Because they also have to pay down because you can't really finance the loan. Unless you're getting a construction loan, I'm assuming most people are not building right away. So how does that work? And where do you see the risks on that? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to actually predict where things were going to go in the future. All I know is right now, in a lot of the markets that I work in, yes, there's probably been some softening, but I'll tell you what, there's the buyers are still out there. As long as you can price the property right, buyers will still step forward. As long as you're not buying a junky property and trying to put it out there, you know, like the good properties, which is, are the ones that I buy, the good properties mm -hmm. sell as long as they're priced right. Now, I think there's a number of different factors. First of all, land is really not as tied to interest rates as single family yeah. homes are. A lot of the purchases are cash. You know, they cash. may come from someone's HELOC or something like that, but it's not a direct relationship there. The other thing is, you know, with this inflationary environment, there's a lot of people realizing that they'd rather have their money in real assets. There's very few there's no real assets that, that could beat out land yeah. as a category. So people yeah, feel safe not when they own the land. Yeah. It's not so going anywhere, man. Yeah. So I think we've got that in an inflationary environment, really. It should just be increasing its value over time, in theory, as long yeah. as you're buying in the right areas. As long as you're not buying in areas that have had a huge run up that have the potential for a huge rundown, I guess you could say. So that's how you kind of balance the risk. But, you know, so the other part that's interesting to me is such short term holds that if we discover that we're not, these properties are not selling we can adapt quickly and how we would adapt is we would just hold out to buy the properties cheaper than what we're buying right. them for now. Right. And you said your hold period is 90 days or your hold period includes this 90 day includes the due diligence and everything else. No, 60 to 90 days is actually the time we actually own the property. So the due right. diligence and everything happens before we actually close on the purchase. And typically in most areas, it takes about 90 days to close the purchase because we're going through a title yeah. company or escrow and they've got to do a title search and it just takes time, you know? Yeah. So that gives us time to actually do our due diligence as well. 
make sure everything's good, make sure there are no red flags on the property. We close on it and then instantly we're ready to go with our marketing and our plan to do a minor value add. Wait, if somebody was, some of my audience members are looking to generate some passive income doing that. When I say passive, mm. I should say side income because it's not a passive business. Right. right? So, uh, and maybe there's a way to make passive income as well. I don't know yet. But if they were to make some side money in that, what is something they need to be careful about? And also, how do they actually get started? Yeah, well, the first thing you really need to do, you need to figure out how to evaluate these properties. You need to be able to identify what's a good property, what's a bad property, what are things that, you know, about that property that make it something I'd want to purchase and be able to resell it. And then also valuing the property, like really understanding right. what that property is worth and not some pie in the sky number like, oh, I'm sure I could sell it for this. And, yeah. you know, real concrete facts, like this is what this property is worth. And this is what this property is worth in order to, you know, to sell it in 60 to 90 days, you know? So it's basically how learning. Is how do you get, steps. how do you get that learning or working with someone like you? Yeah. Well, I actually do um, on, I've got a website, turningprofit.com. And I started a podcast with my wife about real estate investing and also primarily land flipping, you know, because that's what we do. But each month on there, I write an income report for our land flipping business. So that's, I feel, I try to make it as insightful as possible. Basically, it's the revenue we took in that month, the profit we took in, each and every deal that we sold that month, you know, like what we bought it for, what we sold it for, notes on that property, how many days we held it for. So all this information to try to give some clarity, some insight, and some transparency into what the business is all about and what's possible. And then as part of that, I started up a whole new land flipping community at the beginning of the year. And it's actually really starting to pick up a lot of momentum. And each week I've been doing a Zoom call in there where for two hours, it ends up being like two hours each Zoom call. I go through a bunch of different deals, show you exactly how I evaluate each of them, and, you know, basically what I do to look at the deals and like basically the community members kind of submit their deals and I go through them live so people can really understand what That's land amazing. flipping is all about and how to understand, you know, what's a good property, what's a bad property, how to figure out what it's worth and all that right. stuff. Plus, right. yeah, plus I've got a whole free training program that's going to be launched in there soon. It's not ready yet, but it will be soon. So, Well, that's amazing, man, because I think part of the process that we always talk about is education is key, right? Don't jump into anything that you hear on any podcast, including mine. <laughs> yes. Use that as an inspiration to make sure that you're ready to do something. But that next step is really learning more, interacting with people, talking to more people. And the communities like yourselves, it's going to be very helpful to basically get plugged in, to stay with the pulse of the market. And without a community, without an ecosystem, you can't do that. That's a great, great resource that our uh, listeners should definitely, I would definitely encourage. And you said turningprofits.com? Yeah, turning profit, uh, no S on the end, turningprofit.com. So, turningprofit.com. Yeah. I'll make sure that I, we usually go to this part of the, where can they find you at the end of the show? But I, I'm amazing. Oh, yeah. this, is, this is a natural conversation. Yeah, this is perfect. <laughs> funny. This is actually yeah. perfect. It, had, it happened this way. So, now I'll make sure that the information is included in the show notes below. Oh, great. So, yeah. we're probably given the time constraint here. I want to be respectful of your time, Pete. I can, yeah, yeah, I can pick your brain for the entire two days because <laughs> there's so many questions I have in mind, but I'm respectful and don't make it a very long episode. We'll probably do another one once I, sure, once I learn cool. a little bit more. So two questions that I have, knowing what you know right now, Pete, what are the two or three insights you'll give to your 20-year-old self? If you were to go back to when you were 20-year-old, what would hmm. that be? Yeah. You know, I had this mindset, I think back then, 
that I kind of knew I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. And I was always trying to think about, you know, what's this, the next big idea, the next business model that I could come up with or whatever. But over time, I realized that you don't need to recreate the wheel. Like we talked about, you don't need to reinvent the wheel. You just need to take an established business model and duplicate it. And maybe you can make it make a little it better, better. Yeah. but you don't have to come up with anything crazy. There's tons of right. great profitable businesses out there that are just boring, plain, run-of-the-mill business in some way or another. And, you know, no reason to figure it all out yourself because someone else probably, you know, has already figured that out yeah. for you. <laughs> and that's such a key insight, right? Because not everyone's going to create the next Google and the Amazon. Yeah, um, it would be great. It's good. I'd love to it's, do it'd that. It'd be great. But, It'd be yes. great to do that. It'd be great yeah. to be next Brian Chesky from Airbnb. But not everyone's going to do that. Not everyone wants to do that, right? And if you want no. to do that, that's a perfect thing. And if you have the drive, but most people are not ready to embark on that journey. So for those, if you're not ready, there are other ways to be successful, financially successful. And one yep. of the ways is to look at how other people are making money, right? There's multi Real estate is such an interesting field because there's so many deep subclasses inside of real estate. You can go heavy in multifamily. I mean, talking to you, you can go heavy on uh, land flipping. You can go on flipping homes. You can go wholesaling. You can do so many different variety of things. Picking an asset class is going to be important. Picking a subclass is going to be important. That doesn't mean you're stuck with it. You can always add on or, or change if you needed to. Yep. Yeah, that's Last, so, so good. You know, and the, you know, like the shiny object thing too. You know, like once you get focused on uh, something, don't just kind of zip off in any direction when you hear something cool, you know? Correct, correct, correct. No, that, that's true because coming from, if you bring somebody else like you with a different asset class, it's going to be as exciting as this class. This uh, asset yeah. class. But is, the, is <laughs> that asset class also right for everyone? Not really, right? So things need focus. To be successful, you need to have some focus. But you yep. also want to make sure you're not putting your hand in the sand. You're also looking at other uh, other options, but not Definitely. too broad, but not too not too small either. So yeah. uh, last question here, Pete, we're going to change directions here. What is one thing that you think humanity is missing right now that it should migrate towards? Hmm, That's a good one. That's a thought provoking question. What is humanity? Uh, you know, I, I think, I think too many people are self-centered to be honest. Yeah. Uh, they're only concerned about their own, I guess their own comfort maybe, or their own, well-being and uh, they're not thinking about the big picture as society as a whole so i think we get in a lot of problems this way because people think about that from that viewpoint that self-centered viewpoint when if they thought about the big picture and the big world out there that maybe their perspective would change and things might be a little better in some ways i love that man i think you're living that especially once you create the community you're training other folks to be to follow your footsteps hopefully surpass you uh, yes, that'd be great. So I'm sure you're living that dream. On that note, Pete, thank you again for jumping on that call on this uh, session. I really appreciate it. I know you're busy. Well, I appreciate like it. everyone else, but thank you. All right, thanks. If you got value from this episode, you might consider sharing this content with a friend. But most importantly, be sure to take action on what you've learned. One way you can take the next step is to connect directly with Socket on an investor call. That link is waiting for you in the show notes below. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Please consult your own advisors when making any investment decisions. Keep listening. We'll see you on the next episode.